This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, an episode of X-1 and the story of a ruthless millionaire who's determined to be the first man to conquer space, no matter what the cost. We'll hear about Wayne Crowder, a businessman who had squeezed the fortune out of the useful products that he engineered, such as the can opener and razor blade, and in the magazines that reported on men of business, he was described as a man of stone and steel. He hired the best engineers that anyone could find to help him build a spaceship. He decided he was going to be the man who gives space flight to mankind. Kind of reminds you of Elon Musk, doesn't it? Written by Nelson Bond, this story was originally broadcast under Dimension X in 1951. And here's the episode entitled, The Vital Factor. Countdown for blastoff. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction, presents X minus one. Tonight's story, The Vital Factor by Nelson Bond. I doubt that anywhere on earth there's a man or woman or a child who doesn't know the name Wayne Crowder. I doubt whether there's a human being who hasn't at one time or another used one of the Crowder products. The can opener or the razor blade or the patented tooth powder dispenser or the Crowder Improved Slideless Fastener. In the magazines which write about men of business, Crowder was described as a man of ice and stone and ink and steel. No warmth to his blood. And a heart to pump, not feel, human emotion. And he built a battery of buttons into his desk so that when he wanted something, all he ever had to do was press a button, and like genies springing out of the bottle, the proper personnel would come running. Yes, Mr. Crowder? Get me my engineers. Yes, sir. Right away, Mr. Crowder. Here are your engineers, sir. All right. Close the door and get out. Now, gentlemen, sit down. Gentlemen, I want you to build me a spaceship. A spaceship, sir? That's right. I've decided that I'm going to be the man who gives space flight to mankind. Any questions? Sir, we can design such a ship. That part isn't too hard. Yes? But, but we've no way of providing the motor to power such a ship. When the ship's ready to fly, there'll be a motor. Sir, I I don't like to contradict you, but you can't go ahead of the total technology of a historical period. It's like asking somebody in 1600 to build the internal combustion engine. You see, scientists have been searching for a motive power for spaceships for decades now without success. You'll have a ship, but we can't lift that ship from the Earth's surface. That is, not to the point of free flight at any rate. Mr. Crowder, 
Uh, you see, you'll be spending millions of dollars, hundreds of millions, perhaps, for nothing. What's your name? Phillips, sir. You're fired. Go down to the cashier and draw your pay and get out. What, sir? Get out. Nobody who works for me thinks of how much something costs. What? We use money. We don't let expense provide a rationalization for not beginning a project. All right, Phillips. I give you permission to leave. Right now. Any other comments? The ship will be built, of course, Mr. Crowder. The fact still remains, we can't power it. You design the ship, I'll find the motor for you. Where, sir? I don't know. But somewhere in the world, there's a man who does know the secret. I want that motor, and I'll root out the man who has the theory which will let us build it. How quickly do you want this done, sir? Yesterday. Yes, sir. Is there anything you need? We'll need a construction yard, sir, and certain machinery and a great many materials, of course. Uh, labor force. Get them. Send me the bills. I don't want to be bothered with minor details. Yes, sir. And uh, one more thing, sir. Phillips. Yes? We need him, sir. He's a top man on electronics. He's a vital cog in our team. I don't want Phillips working for me. That's clear, I hope. Who else in the country knows what he does? No one in this country, sir. There's a man in India, though. Get him. We've tried before, Mr. Crowder. He's working on an important project in his country. I'm not concerned with details. Get that man, pay him what he wants, but get him. Sir, you don't understand. If this man quits his job, that whole project will collapse. It means the welfare of many people, millions of people in his country. He has a high sense of patriotism. Buy that sense of patriotism. That's all. I don't want to see any of you again until you have a report of work in progress. Yes, sir. Miss Holmes, there's a man named Phillips going to draw his pay. I want two company policemen to meet him at the cashier's office and escort him from there directly off the premises, and I want them to be emphatic about it. Yes, Mr. Crowder. And notify the newspapers, the television, and the radio networks, the periodicals, and the scientific journals that I'll receive the press in my office this afternoon at 3.30. I have an important announcement to make. Anyone not here at 3.30 will be barred. And the publication or company he represents will not be given any further information. <laughs> Gentlemen, you can finish your drinks later. Gentlemen of the press and ladies, it's my pleasure to be able to tell you that I'm in the process of constructing a spaceship any questions? Did you say spaceship? That's right. That's what I thought you said. I know the drinks weren't that strong. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Crowder, is this spaceship under construction now? It is. You solved the problem of motive force then? No, sir. Well, what sort of... You mean you have no means of propulsion for this spaceship? That problem is not solved as yet. Oh! <laughs> it will be! That's why I called you in this afternoon. I want you to announce that I have $100,000 in cash, waiting for the man or woman who first brings me the basic idea for such a motor. I'll supply all equipment for research and construction, and I'll see that the rights of the inventor are protected and more than adequate royalties will be paid him or her. That's all I have to say now. Mr. Crowder, one more question, please. Yes? Do you have a name for this spaceship yet? No, not yet. Well, then let me suggest one. Yes? Crowder's Folly. <laughs> quiet. All of you, quiet. What is your paper? The Daily Times, sir. Miss Holmes, inform the company police that under no circumstances is any representative of the Daily Times ever to be allowed on company property again. Strike that paper from the list of those to be invited to future conferences. It was Crowder's folly, but the word of what he wanted circulated to the far corners of the globe. 
It was known in the white ice block huts of the Eskimos and in the grass-thatched villages of Central Africa, as well as places less remote. And the Crowder office became the Mecca and the heaven for the lunatic fringe of humanity. Their blueprints and scale models clogged its corridors. I told you I don't want these people in my office till they're screened. Now get out, get out! Every time I open that door, they surge in like a tidal wave. I have a progress report for you, sir. The ship is finished as far as we can go, Mr. Crowder. Certain additional construction can't be done now because it depends on the shape and mass of the engine, on the type of fuel, on the weight of that fuel. I see. All right. Lay off everybody we don't need. I've ordered that. Uh, Mr. Crowder, is it possible that no one will turn up with a motor? That's the one thing that's not possible. He will come. Money and determination will buy anything. Close the door on your way out. Yes, sir. Miss Holmes, order the proper department to put a name on the forward end of the ship. I want letters in pure gold one foot high. The name of the ship is Crowder's Folly. Get it done today. The sun came up in the morning, and the sun set at night, glinting rose on the silver sheen of the hollow ship's skin as it lay in the yard. The golden letters on the prow spelled out the fury of Crowder for the world to see. A staff of fifty were employed as time went on in taking rust preventative measures to ensure the ship's well-being. The staff of fifty worked in three shifts around the clock, armed with oil cans and grease cans and other containers and sprayers of preservatives. In a year... The first experiment seemed ready to bear fruit, and a test was held. The atomic fission motor. In exactly 45 seconds now, we'll hold the test, Mr. Crowder. The sound you hear is our generators here, building up power to supply the motor by remote control. If this needle goes round to the part of the dial marked in red... There'll be an explosion. Are there any questions, sir? Proceed with the tests. Watch the needle, sir. 8,000. 8,500. 9,000. 10. 11. 12. 15. That's an overload now, sir. Uh. 18, 20, don't know how much more it can... What happened? The generator blew out. What kind of incompetency? I beg your pardon, sir. The motor blew up. What are you talking about? I would have heard... You see, sir, it takes a while for the vibrations of an explosion to travel three miles, and then reach through 15 feet of concrete. I see. Well, there are other experiments in progress. Let me know when they're ready for testing. Yes, sir. Mr. Crowder, the inventor of that motor had to be right with it, of course, during the tests. He had a family. The fool knew what he was doing. He understood the danger. He was paid enough to be able to afford insurance. The cost of insurance on such a project was prohibitive, sir. Well, if his wife was thrifty, she saved out of what he earned this last year. His salary was relatively small, sir. Most of the money went for the research. He should have demanded an adequate salary. I haven't stated on money. The fool failed. I have no further responsibility. Yes, sir. You want us to continue screening applicants? Of course. All right. Make a settlement on the widow. And don't turn anyone away if he seems to have the remotest possibility of success. I'm telling you, my man will come. Money and determination will buy anything. And strangely enough, Crowder was right. Because one day there came to his office a stranger, a small man. He looked even smaller in that tremendous room. He was an unusual visitor in that he carried no briefcase fat with blueprints or formulae. He was unusual in that he neither blustered, cowered, nor deferred to his host. He was a pleasant little stranger 
bird-like of eye, movement, bright and smiling. Mr. Crowder, my name is Wilkins. I can power that ship you want. So? Of course, what I have in mind won't be anything like that meaningless, huge bullet your engineers built for you. Rockets are a foolish waste of time, sir. My motor requires a different sort of vessel. Where are your plans? Right here in my head. It so happens that I am presently supporting half a dozen people who make the same claims. None of them have been successful. What makes you think your idea will work? Simple enough, sir. A common magnet. Huh? Electromagnetism. Utilization of the force of gravity, or its opposite in this case, counter-gravity. Oh, oh, thank you very much. Now, if you'll forgive me now... Uh, just one moment, Mr. Crowder. There's one thing more. This. Now, I've seen pieces of metal before. Thank you. How high from your desk would you say that I'm holding it? I'm very sorry, Mr. Wilkins. Now, do you want to leave or do you want to be escorted out? Now, this will only take a second, sir. How high from your desk would you say that I'm holding this piece of metal? A foot and a half, I'd say. And if I let go, then in less than a second, a fraction of a second, it should fall to your desk. Now, look, I don't want the surface of that desk marred. What will it be? You see, I have let go of the metal, is that right? Good Lord. Mm. Many seconds ago, it should have crashed to the desk, am I right? Well, this is incredible. Well, if you want to speak to me anymore, I'll be right outside. It hasn't fallen. That's right, sir. It hasn't fallen. It floats in the air. That's right, sir. It floats in the air. How do you do it? Why don't you call your engineers and ask them? I'll wait outside. Miss Holmes, get me my engineers. Immediately. All right, Mr. Wilkins, you're quite right. The piece of metal is apparently counter-gravity. And my engineers can give me no explanation. Thank you, sir. Now, what do you want? For my services? Yes. You've already set the price. To build a pilot model based on this sample, no great expenditure, a hundredth of the cost of your behemoth sitting out there in your building yard. Three other things. A workshop, expert mechanical assistance, and an answer to one question. What is your question? Why... Do you want so much to build this ship? Frankly, because I love power. Because I'm ambitious. I want to be the first to conquer space, because if I can do it, it'll make me greater, richer, stronger than any man has ever been. I want to be the master, not only of one world, but of worlds. That's an honest answer. But is it the only one? You see those letters in gold on the prow of my ship? Crowder's Folly, that's what they named it. That's what they think of me. I want to cram those words down their petty little throats and let them eat mud. That's another answer. And that's all? That is as far as your thinking goes? What other answer is there to your question? There's my own answer. I want to leave this planet and go elsewhere, to Mars, perhaps, because there are strange wonders yet to be found. Because there will be scarlet sunsets over barren wastes. And in the star-strewn night, the thin, cold air of a dying world stirring in restless sighs across the valleys of the dry canals. <laughs> you may laugh out loud if you wish, Mr. Crowder. I would prefer that to the peculiar repressed smile you are now exhibiting. <laughs> you are a very lucky man, Mr. Wilkins, in that you have scientific talent. Because your talents as a poet are inferior and very sentimental. All right. You're a sentimentalist, and I'm a man of action. No matter. We can work together, you and I. Your workshop will be ready by morning. I don't need to hear from you again till you have something to show me. If you need to see me, call me day or night. I'll be available. But don't bother me with details, because I probably won't understand what you're talking about anyhow. If you need money or materials or personnel, just tell my engineers. You'll get it, or I'll know the reason why. Now, that's all. Thank you, sir. Miss Holmes, get me my engineers. <laughs> Yes, Mr. Crowder? We have 50 men working on preserving that useless hulk out there in the construction yards. Lay them off. 
the How ship many will others? deteriorate if we do that, sir. Let it rot. Lay them off. Yes, sir. How many other employees are still working for us on the project? About uh, 3,000, sir, including the people working on experimental motors. Get rid of them. Sir? Get rid of them. Mr. Crowder, I, I never thought you'd drop this project. You were so adamant. I'm not dropping anything but Deadwood. You saw what Wilkins had to offer. He's my man. And the rest is junk and nonsense. Mr. Crowder, he might fail. We ought to have a minimum of protection. I say he won't fail. I know the goods when I see it. The rest is nonsense. Several of the experimenters were making much greater progress than I thought was possible. There are great opportunities there. I'm not interested. Not only in the field of spaceships, sir. One man has a motor no bigger than a football, which will drive an automobile 24 hours on four cents worth of fuel. It's almost finished, sir. Not interested. It will be of great benefit to mankind, sir. Your name will go down. My in... name will go down in history for this spaceship. The profits in such a motor, sir. I have more money now than I even know how to count. And when I make my space flight, I'll have more than that. Yes, sir. You just lay everybody off that isn't needed. Give them two weeks' pay and my thanks for a thankless job well done. And that's all. Yes, sir. I'll get it done, sir. Oh, one more thing. There's no need to let the folly rot. Dismantle it. Sell the basic materials we don't need. Salvage whatever will be useful to us. That's all. Years work. Yes. In 10 years or 20 years, and I do the same thing. That's why you're an engineer and I'm an executive. That's why you work for me. Because when I have to, I can be ruthless with my own mistakes. When a thing has lost its usefulness to me, I get rid of it. Well, I was just thinking, Mr. Crowder, what would happen to me if my usefulness to you were over? I've worked for you 20 years now. Uh, just don't give me any occasion to consider your usefulness terminated. That oughtn't to be too hard. Hmm. What? Uh, nothing, sir. I'll make the arrangements at once. <laughs> Who are you? What do you want? I tried to stop him, sir. Well, speak up, man. My name is Jarvis Zustuli. I'm an electronics expert. Oh, yes, I remember. You're the Indian. Come in, come in. Do you want me, sir? I, I can never... Never mind, Miss Holmes. Just stay outside. Close the door behind you. Sit down, Zustuli. Thank you, no. I want to give you a gift before I leave. Oh? You leaving? I thought we still needed you. I resigned. Sorry to hear that. I'm told you're a good man. I want you to understand what's behind this gift. Huh? I was working on a power project in my country which would have meant a tremendous rise in the standard of living for millions of my people. I was unable to resist the money you offered. Well, had you resisted, even more money would have been forthcoming. I placed no limit on your worth to me. I understand. But you see, I did not come without a sense of guilt because there was no one in my country who could take my place. I would assume that. And now I discover that what I did was for nothing. The spaceship on which I worked is being dismantled. That's right. So I have been corrupted by you at a whim. I think you have too much power, sir. I think you use your power for evil, selfish purposes. Selfish, yes. Evil, no. Only sentimentality is evil. I think otherwise, and so, in order that you shall not corrupt anyone else, I have this gift for you. Here you are, sir. And just one more shot for good measure to make sure you're really dead. Good. Miss Holmes, there's a man on his way out by the name of Jarvis Rustley, an engineer. He's not to be molested. He probably won't stop at the cashier, so I want a check for six months' salary in advance mailed to his home address. The man uh, showed a certain quality of ruthlessness, which is deserving of recognition. Oh, and uh, have the chief of the company police bring me a new bulletproof vest. This one seems to have been dented in a couple of places. Thank you.
A new spaceship, according to Wilkins' plans, as executed by Crowder's engineers, was finished within four months. It was small, it was shaped like a disc. It gleamed brightly even in the smoky haze of an October sunset. Inside, Crowder and Mr. Wilkins, in a small cubicle at the heart of the machine, sat surrounded by many instruments of a complicated nature. Outside, huge crowds gathered to witness the test. They stirred and murmured, waiting restlessly, as inside the control room of the craft, Wilkins installed the final secret part he had not revealed to those who built his driving apparatus. Well, Wilkins, what's holding us up? Nothing new. Oh, sentiment, perhaps? A wish to look once more on Earth's familiar scenes? There. Now the screening is removed. Look. Look at the people out there. Never mind looking out there. Let's leave that thing closed. You're a sentimental fool. Or are you afraid? Or did you decide at the last minute that your invention would work? It will work. Uh, Sit down, Mr. Crowder. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Do me a favor. When I press this button, will you please press the button on the arm of the chair in which you're seated? I'll tell you when. Turn on your motor. I want to hear its roar and feel its tug as we cut loose from Earth's gravity and fly outward into space. (laughs) That might be a moment in which I'd share your sentimentality. Press your button now, sir. Thank you. Wilkins, I'm beginning to distrust you. If this is all a hoax, when are we going to take off? You said at five sharp, and it's two minutes after five now. Well, do we move or don't we? Mr. Crowder, we're already moving. The button you pushed was to nullify the effects of acceleration. If you don't mind, sir, I'd like to open the screen again. Now, care to look? See for yourself. Wilkins, we're in space. Look down at the Earth, how far we've come. Why, it's no bigger than a toy balloon. No, a dime. No, a firefly. Man, man, Wilkins, you've done it. Yes. I swore to be the first man to conquer space, and I've done it. It's a triumph of power and ambition. And sentiment. Blast sentiment. Your maudlin dreaming would have died unborn except for me. I made this possible, Wilkins. Don't you ever forget that? My capital, my forcefulness, my will. Look out there. Space. Stars that never were seen from Earth. This is only the beginning. We'll build a larger model. One great enough to hold a hundred men, a thousand, and cargo besides. Whoever wants to leave Earth this moment must come to me. I am the master of the planet. (sighs) All right, Wilkins. Turn back now. No. Huh? I said turn back. No. Well, we've we proved the ship can fly now. Now turn back. I want to start work at once in preparation for the long flights to come. Not so. We will go on. What are you doing? Defying me? I'll break your puny little body into pieces. Can you control this ship, Mr. Crowder? Would you like to be stranded out here in space, just adrift in space without control? Would you like that? Turn back. No. What's the matter with you? Are you out of your mind? Oh, I am a sentimentalist, Mr. Crowder. Your money and ambition paved the way, that's true. But sentiment was the vital factor that sent me to you. Sentiment, sir. You see, Mr. Crowder, I wanted to go home. Home? Home? You are out of your mind. You will forgive me if I remove these primitive clothes? Who? Who? Who are you? Oh, it's all right, Mr. Crowder. I hold no special malice toward you. There's no need to be so terrified because you've had your first close look at a Martian.
You have just heard X-1 presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you The Vital Factor by Nelson Bond, as adapted for radio by Howard Rodman. Featured in the cast were Joe DeSantis, Guy Sorrell, John McGovern, Rant Richards, Louis Van Ruten, Richard Hamilton, and Florence Williams. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Stay tuned for My Friend Irma next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for a visit with a gal who at first glance is exceptionally not bright. If I can be so kind. My Friend Irma is a media franchise that was spawned by a top-rated, long-running radio situation comedy created by writer-director-producer Cy Howard. The radio show was so popular in the late 40s that its success escalated films, television, and a comic strip and a comic book that comprised the franchise. Marie Wilson portrayed the title character Irma Peterson on the radio in two films and the television series as well. The radio series was broadcast on CBS from April 47 to August 23rd of 1954. So we have dependable, level-headed Jane Stacy, who played Kathy Lewis, who began each weekly radio program by narrating a misadventure of her innocent, bewildered roommate, Irma, a scatterbrained stenographer from Minnesota. The two central characters were in their mid-twenties, and the two met in the first episode, and they lived together in an apartment rented from their Irish landlady, Mrs. O'Reilly, played by Jane Morgan. Uh, Irma worked for the lawyer, Mr. Clyde, who was portrayed by Alan Reed, as she had such an odd filing system that once when Clyde fired her, he had to hire her back again because he couldn't find anything. Useless at dictation, Irma mangled whatever Clyde dictated. Irma became less intelligent and even more ditzy as the program evolved, she also uh, developed a tendency to whine or cry whenever something went wrong, which was usually at least once every episode. To be honest with you, I find her irritating as hell. But the show was one of the most popular when it was aired, 1948, so who am I to judge? Here's the story of when the election connection occurred. Lever Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap with the exclusive super-creamed blend, presents... Huffin' Swan with my friend, Irma. Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. Friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship when other friendships have been forgotten. Theirs will still be hot. My friend. There's an explanation for everything. But I don't think that goes where Irma Peterson is concerned. Why do I say that? Well, a few minutes ago, I told Irma that in the Arctic Circle, the nights are six months long. And Irma said, Gee, when a girl goes to a dance, her mother must say, Be a good girl and try to get home before July. <laughs> Those things uh, jolt me, but tonight I'm too busy addressing a stack of envelopes for Richard to waste any time trying to straighten Irma out. Jane, who are you writing to? No one we know, honey. You see, Richard is greatly interested in the primary elections, and he's coming here with a stack of election circulars he wants me to mail. Circulars? Yeah, you know, there's a picture of the man, and underneath it is a description of what he's done. Oh, I know, like those pictures of Al's friends that are hanging in the post office. <laughs> This is a different kind of circular. You see, these men hold offices. They don't hold them up. <laughs> Come in. Well, here they are, Jane. Hello, Irma. Hello, Richard. I'll take the circulars, Richard. 
Gee, I've never seen you so excited. Well, this is exciting and important work we're doing. If, if we can get the voters behind the reform ticket and elect our man, Robert Colby, this district will at long last be represented by an honest man in council. Richard, is there any way I can help? Yes, yes, you can vote. No, I can't. Those voting machines always get me so confused. Well, honey, what's there to be confused about? All you do is press down a lever. Yes, but I don't know where to put the nickel. <laughs> well, I'll explain it to you later, Irma. Richard, is there anything else I can do for you? Uh, no, no, just get the circulars out. I'm going down to headquarters and keep things moving. Oh, and uh, keep spreading the word around. Colby for councilman. All right, Richard. See you later. Jane. What, sweetie? Isn't there any way I can help in the election? No, honey. Electioneering is important work. It takes the toil of endless hours. Well, that's why I want to help. What good is woman's suffrage if I don't get a chance to suffer? <laughs> get it, will you, honey? I'm busy. Hello? Who is this? Joe? No, Joe. Al isn't here yet. Huh? You have a job for him. Oh, Joe, you're early. April Fool is ten days off. <laughs> oh, you're serious? Well, I'll tell him to call you. Uh, goodbye. What do you think, Jane? Joe has a job for Al. How do you like that? His best friend turning on him after all these years. <laughs> Jane, uh, can I just fold the circulars for you? I want to do something. Well, honey, I don't want you to feel hurt, but I haven't got too much confidence in you ever since your cousin brought those campfire girls up here to hold a meeting. Well, I thought that a log fire would make them feel at home. Yes, honey, but we have no fireplace. <laughs> well, everybody makes mistakes. Yeah, I know, Irma, but you don't use judgment. Now, honey, look at your shoes. You paid $12 for a pair of $5 shoes. Why don't you shop around? In the future, I will. Look, honey, if you really want to help me, you can run down to the post office and get me a hundred three-cent stamps. All right, Jane, and don't worry, I won't buy at the first post office I see. <laughs> I'm going to shop around. Oh. Come in. It's only me, Professor Kropotkin. <laughs> Hello, Janie and Irma, my two little cottages. One with a clinging vine, one with an empty attic. <laughs> Kropotkin, a man like you should have been a comedian. <laughs> Jenny, darling, could I borrow, please, your dark glasses? Surely, why? Well, if you'll excuse the expression, I'm taking Mrs. O'Reilly out tonight. Oh, <laughs> uh, now, Professor, don't try to kid us. We know you're falling more in love with her every day. Jenny, when a man courts his landlady, this is not love. This is known as taking the bull by the horn. <laughs> That's the way Miss O'Reilly combs her hair. Oh, hold it, will you, the two of you? I've got to get these circulars out for Richard. Irma, will you please hurry to the post office? All right, Jane. Now, honey, you know what to get. Yes, a three-dollar stamp. No, no, no. No, a hundred three-cent stamps. Now, here, I'll write it down, sweetie, and don't shop around, please. Goodbye. Jamie, what's all this correspondence here? Oh, this. Well, Richard and the Reform Party are trying to get Robert Colby elected in the primary so we can get good, honest representative and throw honest Jim Blake right out of office. That I'm for. That honest Jim is such a crook, when he's campaigning, he couldn't kiss a baby without stealing the diaper pin. <laughs> well, that's why we're all working so hard to get Colby in office. You know, Professor, you could help. You tell all the customers at the Gypsy Tea Room to vote for Colby for honest government. Well, I'll tell them, Jenny, but I don't think it's going to help. Why not? After they eat at the Gypsy Tea Room, they're not thinking of good government. They're more interested in a good doctor. <laughs> tell me, Jenny, is Irma helping you elect Colby? No. Then he's got the chance. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's got to win, and honest Jim must go. Professor, how about wearing a Colby for Councilman Pin? Oh, I'd be glad to. Here, here you are. Oh. oh, no, Professor, not on your trousers. <laughs> on your jacket. Please, Janie, I know where the pin is needed the most. <laughs> but you can count on me. Goodbye. Bye. Oh, honestly, I'll never get these circulars out. Never. Hello? Who? Oh, Joe. 
No, Al isn't here yet. Well, you know Monday is his busy day. That's when he stands outside of the Yankee Stadium and waits for balls to come over the fence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll have him call you, Joe. Come in. Hiya, Jane. Where's Chicken? Oh, she went on an errand for me, Al. You know, your friend Joe's been calling like mad all day trying to get you. <laughs> that guy's uncanny. But he ain't cutting in on this deal. It's my own idea. It's a birth certificate with an adjustable calendar. For dames who are getting old. <laughs> Al, will you believe me I'm not interested? And I'd appreciate it if you'd call Joe before he wears out the phone. Burma comes back, I'm downstairs getting some ink from Mrs. O'Reilly. Tell her, huh? Hmm. Dynamic dame. Must be a thyroid condition. <laughs> well, while she's gone, must make that telephone call. And there's only one man to call. Who else but... Hello, Joe? <laughs> Al, what is your problem? A job for me? Joe, what did I ever do to Major Saw? <laughs> no kidding. You mean I get 5000 a year? Joe, it sounds too good to be honest. Oh, it ain't honest. It's a political job. <laughs> well, Joe, what sort of work do I do? You see, I couldn't take the taxpayer's money for nothing. Huh? I'll have an important duty to perform... I keep whales out of Central Park Lake? Joe, there ain't no whales in Central Park Lake. Oh, in an election year, you never ask questions. So what do I do to get the job, Joe? Uh-huh. 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 Mm-hmm. I'd be glad to campaign for him. He's a good man. You can count on me. Goodbye, Joe. Oh, hello, Al, honey. Well, what's the matter, chicken? Why so glum? I bought these stamps for Jane. Chicken, and... you got the stamps all pasted on a cardboard. Well, the wind was blowing. I was afraid I'd lose them. Gee, <laughs> uh, I don't know why Jane has no confidence in me. Forget it, Chicken. Golden days are ahead. Before you know it, little Al will be making $5,000 a year. Oh, Al, they'll catch you and destroy your printing press. <laughs> no, Chicken, you know I wouldn't be a counterfeiter. This is legitimate. We gotta help elect the one man who can give us clean, decent government. Who, Al? Honest Jim Blake. Oh, but Al, Jane and Richard are campaigning for Robert Colby. They say Jim Blake is a crook. Chicken, it ain't exactly being crooked. You see, politicians figure they gotta get what they can while they're in office, because the public forgets them so quickly. You take President Hoover, in office four years, and watch his reward. Got his name on a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and, and Adam. Got his name on a hat. Lincoln is on a penny. And Wilson is on a ham. It's enough to frustrate an honest man. Oh, but, but the papers say Jim Blake is the most dishonest man that was ever in office. Just propaganda, Chicken. Look at the things he's done for the city. Take that, that beautiful highway he built last year. But it cracked in two weeks. Well, Jim couldn't help that. Strong weeds. <laughs> well, how about that bridge he built? It fell down in three days. Well, honest, Jim couldn't help it if the rain dissolved the cement. Besides, honey, you're looking at the bad side of him. Look at the good he's done. Built his wife a beautiful home. Gave her a mink coat. Gave his brother a pardon. There's a man with a heart. Yeah, I don't know what to do. I, gosh, I hate to work against Jane. Chicken... Face this thing realistically. I love you. And with five G's a year coming in, we can get married. And there'll be no more of those long hours going to work every day. You can get a part-time job. <laughs> You'd really marry me, Al? Why, sure, I'd marry you, chicken. You think I like sleeping on park benches every day until four in the afternoon? I want to have a home to do that in. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Do you think Jane will be angry with me if I help you? Well, chicken, you know Jane has no confidence in you. Well, that's true. She has lost a little confidence in me. Ever since I mixed the brown and white shoe polish together for my sports shoes. <laughs> well, what do you say, chicken? Will you help me with Honest Jim's campaign? All right, I'll, I'll, I'll do it because I know it means you'll marry me. and It'll show Jane I'm smart enough to mix in politics, too. That's the spirit, chicken. But remember, we don't let Jane know that we're working for the opposition. If they want to work for Colby, okay. We're for Blake. All right, Al. Gee, I'm so excited about you and politics. 
Who knows? Someday you may be governor and I'll be your wife. Never can tell, chicken. Imagine me, a governess. Well, the campaign for Robert Colby is just going wonderfully. I never knew life could be so hectic, but I love it. Richard and I have been working day and night, but we're too thrilled to be tired. We're going to put an honest man in office, and nothing is going to stop us. In fact, we're at a big rally now, singing our campaign song. Vote for Colby, vote for Colby, he will never fail. His election means perfection, Brooks will land in jail. Down with them, vote for Colby, vote for Colby, he should I'm sure that we'll elect Colby. Hello, oh, Jamie. Oh, Professor, I'm so glad you could come to the rally. Uh, Mrs. O'Reilly stood me up. She said I insulted her. Why? She wanted to go to a horse show. I told her she wouldn't have a chance. Oh, ain't this some rally? Boy, if Jane and Richard could only see us now, they'd know they'll lick. Al, I've been doing a lot of good work. Yeah, what do you mean, Chicken? Well, I think Honest Jim has been wasting his time. He's kissing all the babies, but they can't vote. <laughs> what about it? I've been kissing their fathers. <laughs> chicken, you don't have to overdo it. Uh, by the way, did you get rid of all those circulars I gave you? Yeah. Good, good. And where I got rid of them, no one will ever find them. <laughs> chicken, I meant to give them out, not hide them. Oh, Al, isn't there anything more I can do? No, no, chicken. Don't want you to overwork your little mind. <laughs> oh, I haven't been overworking it, honey. I, I hardly know it's there. <laughs> well, chicken, that's enough for today. You go home and don't forget, tell all your friends to vote for Blake. All right, Al. Gee, I can't wait until you get the job and we get married. My, my hope chest is all ready. I, I just put in six baseballs, three tennis rackets, and a pair of skis. What's the idea, Chirpy? Well, I read in a book that a wife should be a good sport. <laughs> Hi, honey. Where have you been? Oh, places. Places? What are you doing with that Jim Blake pin? Irma, you're not electioneering for that crook. Well, Al says he's not so bad, and, and if he's elected, Al will get a job, and Al promised to marry me. Sweetie, if I bought a box of rice every time Al promised to marry you, the Chinese wouldn't have anything left to eat. <laughs> oh, Jane, I love Al, and I, I want to get married. I want children, a home, and a place to put all those statues I want at Coney Island. <laughs> I know you do, honey. But, but won't it bother your conscience to wake up every morning and say, Irma Peterson, you're a bad citizen? I suppose so, but it'll bother me more to wake up every night and say, Irma Peterson, you're an old maid. <laughs> well, honey, it's your life, and since I know Honest Jim doesn't have a chance, you can do what you want. Oh, thanks, Jane. I, I want to practice what I'm going to say to the girls at the office tomorrow. <laughs> Well, there stands Irma in front of the mirror. And it's a sight that would make Patrick Henry turn over in his grave. She's evidently practicing the gestures that she's going to make in her speech. But such gestures I have never seen. Now she's shaking her fist. Now she's waving her arms in defiance. She's evidently scored her point. She's also knocked the clock off the mantel. Now she's shaking her finger and she's pointing to her head. This can only mean that Blake is solid. <laughs> now she's taking the Manhattan telephone directory and she's holding it over her head with all her strength. Irma, 
Honey, what's the idea of that? Well, I want to show him that Blake will carry New York. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Come in. Hello, Jane. Richard. Well, what's the matter? Your face is white as a sheet. Jane, I'm afraid that all of our work has been in vain. Look at this headline. What's it about, Richard? I'm too nervous to read it. Well, honest Jim Blake and his machine have dug up a scandal about Colby that will cost us every woman's vote. What was it? They claimed that 18 years ago he struck his wife. And on Mother's Day. <laughs> oh, no, it can't be true. No, it isn't. It was just an unfortunate accident. He just happened to trip with a hammer in his hand. <laughs> yes, but Blake has distorted the story. Oh, Richard, what can we do? Well, I understand that Blake is addressing the heads of all the women's clubs at Sloan's Hall tonight. Now, we have to go there with Colby so he can prove his innocence. Yeah, all right, Richard. But I'd, I'd like to inform you that we have a Benedict Arnold in our midst. Oh, he won't help you, Jane. We've got important people, too. Jane, <laughs> Jane you mean that Irma is campaigning for that thief, Blake? Y yes, I, I am. Well, I'm surprised at you. Come on, Jane. Goodbye, Irma. Goodbye. What's the matter, Chicken? Richard and Jane are mad at me because I'm trying to help Jim Blake. Gosh, are you sure he's honest? I already told you, Chicken. Are you sure you'll marry me if I help him win? Am I sure? Chicken, I already told three of the boys to stay out of trouble because I might need them for ushers. Uh, <laughs> all right, Al. And Chicken, tonight's the night you can really help the campaign. You see, Honest Jim is going to address the women's club at Sloan's Hall tonight. Well, that's where Jane and Richard are going. Oh, we'll make monkeys out of them. Now, the chief wants you to come up out of the audience like you wasn't rehearsed and testify that Honest Jim is the ladies' friend. We've got to swing the women's vote. But, Al, why did they pick on me? Chicken, there's more chance of you saying the right thing. You don't know him. I mean, uh, <laughs> they, 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 they don't want anybody too professional looking. They want somebody with charm and, and personality and what the French call c'est la guerre. <laughs> All right, Al. I, I'll do it if only for our children's sake. Yeah. Every time I see children, I get goose pimples. Of course, you wouldn't understand. You'll never know what it is to be a mother. <laughs> well, Chicken, now you got the right spirit, and it'll teach Jane not to underestimate us. That's right. She wouldn't let me on her bandwagon. Well, before I'm through, even my friends will want to take me for a ride. <laughs> Well, Chicken, this is Sloan's Hall. Now, when we get inside, it's up to you to help swing the women's vote for Honest Jim. But, Al, when they call me up from the audience, what should I say? Well, just say that uh, you don't know Honest Jim personally, but people say he will undertake everything that good government stands for. Undertake everything uh, good government stands for? Well, that's easy. I'll remember that, Al. Well, Chicken. <laughs> and remember, my job, our whole future together depends on this. Let's go inside. Hey, Chicken, look. Richard's about to speak. Oh, Richard and Jane are, are for Colby and we're for Blake. I feel like that Japanese spy, Harry Carey. <laughs> Shh. Richard's going to speak. Ladies of the Metropolitan District, as you know, Honest Jim Blake has cooked up a smear campaign to besmirch the good name of our candidate, Robert Colby. And I think it is only fair that you hear the true story from his own lips. And here he is. The Honorable Robert Colby. Ladies! Oh, ladies! Oh, please! Oh, listen to me, please! Let, let, let the man have a chance. Richard! Richard, they won't even let him speak. Yes, that's Jim Blake's doing. He's got oh. his co-workers out there to influence the other women. Oh, Richard, you mean we have no chance? No, nothing could win the election now. Nothing. Oh, look at that pompous crook, honest Jim Blake. <laughs> well, he's getting up on the platform. Look how cocky he is, Richard. You all know me, Honest Jim Blake. <laughs> thank you, thank you, lovely ladies, mothers, sisters, aunts, nieces, 
In fact, all of this lovely feminine pulchritude. It has been contended by my opposition that I am a thief. They will tell you I stole $1,842,000 from the taxpayers. I tell you, ladies, and I give you my solemn word. Those figures are incorrect. <laughs> my opponents also contend that I secured my office through acts of violence. This is not true. And my former opponent would personally deny that if he were alive today. <laughs> but why should I ask you to take my word? Surely somewhere in the audience is someone who does not know me, yet knows the good that I've done. Ready, Chicken, that's you. Step forward. Anyone at all? Ah, here's a charming young lady. Who are you, young lady? I'm anybody at all. Uh, <laughs> fine, fine. <laughs> you don't know me, young lady, do you? No, I just know the fellow that works for you. <laughs> Mere coincidence. Now, uh, will you tell these wonderful ladies what you think of me? Uh, well, now let me remember. Oh, I know. Uh, ladies, I don't know Honest Jim personally, but I know he will take everything the government will stand for. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sure this young lady is, is just a little nervous. Yes, and I can't understand it. I was rehearsed so well. Come on, chicken, run. But, but Al, what about your $5,000? You'll need that for flowers. trying to gather my senses. All I remember of the women's meeting was that it ended with Honest Jim chasing Irma and Al down the aisle with a fire axe. <laughs> this evidently convinced the women voters that Honest Jim wasn't exactly the fatherly type, for they have elected Robert Colby to consul almost unanimously. Now Irma thinks that she's America's foremost election authority. In fact, last night I said, Irma, I see where they're talking about making MacArthur president. And Irma said, Oh, I don't think so. Edgar Bergen would never let him go. <laughs> you know, if Bergen ever needs another dummy, he can borrow my friend Irma. I noticed Irma doing something very strange, even for her. And I said, honey, why are you putting those watercolors on top of the swan soap? And Irma said, well, Jane, I thought maybe the swan might want to color some of her eggs for Easter. <laughs> oh, Irma, <laughs> always being thoughtful about your swan soap. Well, that follows. Swan does a lot for you, too. Like the wonderful skin care you get. The wonderful pleasure you get when you make your bath a swan bath. You see, ladies, swan alone has that exclusive super-creamed blend. Why, even the way a cake of swan feels tells you that it differs from other soaps. Swan has an extra smoothness you can actually feel in the cake itself. You can feel a difference in the lather, too. Swan's lather feels richer and creamier. And after a swan bath, your skin feels different. Because thanks to Swan's exclusive super cream blend, that Swan lather rinses away so completely, your skin fairly glows with freshness and life. Looks softer, smoother, younger. No wonder the Swan look is a young look. My Friend Irma, presented by Swan, another fine product of Lever Brothers Company, was produced and directed by Cy Howard. Tonight's script was written by Cy Howard and Park Levy. Folks, next Monday evening, listen again to... Our friend, Swan, with my friend, Irma. Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. The part of Professor Kropotkin was played by Hans Conried. Ladies, listen. The shortage of fats and oils is still very serious, and it's worldwide. So please keep on saving every drop of used kitchen fat. Your butcher will pay you for every pound... Frank Bingman speaking. Tune in next week one hour earlier and listen to the Lux Radio Theater immediately followed by my friend Irma. 
This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System. Hey, thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Inner Sanctum, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.